0: Hannah is a working mother of three teenage children. She works part time as a polytechnic lecturer and spends the rest of her time caring for her family. She comes home tired from work and faces a pile of unwashed dishes in the sink. She sighs, places a pile of scripts to be marked aside, and washes the dishes. And with the detergent suds in between her fingers as she washes the dishes, she feels increasingly frustrated. Why don't her children wash up after themselves? Can't they help with the dishes for once? Drying and putting the dishes aside, she finally goes to her room to change out of her work clothes, but only to face a large pile of laundry to be washed. At this point, she breaks down and cries. If this was only what she has to do some of the time, she can handle it. However, this is something she faces daily. She feels frustrated. Something is not right. There has to be more to life than this. Lisa is a stay-at-home mother with two young preschool children. She has just fetched her eldest son back from kindergarten. And he has been misbehaving the past week and acting up. And with some difficulty, she has just spent the last hour bathing him. In addition, her youngest six-month-old daughter has been colicky and crying the entire afternoon. She has just managed to get her to sleep. Finally, she starts cooking her family dinner an hour late. When a husband returns, and man being men being insensitive, you know, he looks tired, and immediately he asks, when dinner will be ready? At this point, Lisa snaps, raises her voice in anger. She retreats to her room and cries in frustration. She feels that something is not right with this life. She cries out and laments, there has to be more to life than this. Today is Mother's Day. First of all, I wish all mothers blessed Mother's Day. I was assigned to speak today and I was thinking, what can I actually speak and say to mothers? And I was preparing the last few weeks, I was thinking and praying on what I could say to mothers. And I finally thought that I should speak to this issue. I've observed and spoken to a number of mothers, my own mother included, and I hear that many mothers Both working and stay-at-home mothers alike face frustration with the mundane work of mothers. Doing the dishes, cooking, washing the laundry occasionally is still alright, but day in and day out. Add to that the routine daily demands of caring for children, husband and family. The frustration piles up. Add to the makes mothers in the workplace, and the expectations and demands can get overwhelming. When will you get a break? You feel frustration. Something is not right. You question, there really has to be more to life than this. What can you hope for? What has happened? Why has what should be a rewarding work? of caring for your loved ones, becomes so mundane and so frustrating? Is there more to life than this? Where is everything headed? Is there something to hope for? To explore these questions, we shall look today at Revelation 21, where God reveals to us a glimpse of where all of human history is headed. But before we do so, we also want to know what has happened Why is the work of caring for your family so frustrating? To do this, we need to review the big picture story of human history. To the rest listening in, I invite you to follow along as well. It would firstly better help you understand and care for the mothers in your life. And secondly, this would also speak to the frustration and dissatisfaction all of us face in our lives. So what has happened here? Where is all of human history headed? And to answer these questions, we need to go back to the start at Genesis one. Genesis one. Remember the Bible is one book that tells the story of God's plan to redeem a people for Himself. At the start we see God created creating all things, and it was good. He created Adam and the woman, and it was very good. They were placed in the Garden of Eden to work. They were enjoying their relationship with God. God walked, God literally walked in their midst. They were God's people in God's place under the good rule of God. Work then was also fulfilling and everything was perfect. To really understand this, we really need to use our sanctified imagination. In our context, what may this look like today? Mothers, Imagine your children playing soccer and coming back home with clothes It's absolutely clean and smells nice. No laundry to be done. Or you cook a meal, and the meal comes out fantastic. Your family thoroughly enjoys it. And there are no dishes to do after your meal. The the dishes are (laughs) self-cleaning. And your family enjoys a great relationship with each other. No quarrels or fights. And God, God is right there with you in your midst. Everything is perfect and very good. That was what it was like at the start. And then, everything got messed up. Adam and the women was led into sin by the serpent. What many people call the fall happened. Human beings rejected and rebelled against God. As a result, sin came into the world. And everything was cursed and turned upside down. Creation and the result of work became cursed. Relationship with fellow human beings was cursed. Misunderstandings, broken trust, quarrels, fights became the norm. Relationship with God was broken. Human beings became separated from God. And we see the result of the fall plainly around us. This is why we often feel frustrated and dissatisfied. We face difficulties and struggles and experience pain and suffering. The rest of the Bible following Genesis records for us the effects of the fall, showing us in examples after examples, sin and death that results from human beings rebelling against God. Then Jesus came. God became man, broke into time and space and dwelt among human beings. Jesus' life and death on the cross brings about the forgiveness of sins, a restoration of human beings' relationship with God, and the start of the reversal of the curse of the fall. And this is where we are right now. Jesus Christ's victory on the cross not only offers forgiveness to those who by faith trust in Him, He also begins the work of the reversal of the curse of the fall. And now we wait God's final fulfillment of His promises. And this takes us to our passage for today, Revelation 21, 1-8. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Revelation 21, verses 1-8. to Here we see God literally peeling back the veil of mystery of our future to reveal to us where all of human history is finally headed. The Apostle John, who records what God reveals to us, writes to encourage Christians to hope in God's fulfillment of his promise of making all things new. He writes a pastoral letter to Christians in the midst of intense persecution and suffering. To encourage them to press on and overcome by showing them how everything ends. Christ wins, and everything will be right and good again. So please turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8, as we catch a glimpse of the final act of human history. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with men, with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars— your portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulphur, which is the second death. You know, you have heard the saying, don't be too heavily minded such that you are of no earthly use. I think exactly the opposite is the case. You need to be heavily minded so that you can be of earthly use. If you know what is the destiny that awaits you and that this destiny is glorious, wonderful and certain, you will develop a hope that perseveres and overcomes. You will have the strength to be able to face difficulties and suffering. You will be free to live a life of love and sacrifice here on earth. And what we see in Revelation chapter 21 is glorious we see god making all things new in verse 5 and here the new has a sense that is something of a different quality something we have not seen or experienced before everything that is broken is restored everything that is wrong is righted the curse of the fall is finally and fully reversed god Makes all things new and it is glorious. So, what is it that God makes new? I'm particularly indebted to Pastor John Piper for the following insights. God makes things new in the following four areas. Firstly, new creation, verse 1 new creation. John, the author of Revelation, writes Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. God is going to make creation new and glorious. You know, there are some differing views of how much continuity or discontinuity the new creation will have with our present creation. But I think the hope revealed in God's word is that this earth and this heavens will be made new. God will renovate the whole thing. You know, imagine this, a kind of global restoration project. And the sea was no more. I mean, for the fishermen among us, you know, does it mean that you'll be disappointed there's no seas for you to go fishing? No. Because you see, in the Old Testament, the sea is often used as a symbol of chaos, unrest, and evil. So what John is saying here is that everything that is futile, everything that is evil, everything that is painful, will be done away the fallen creation will receive freedom from fertility, evil and pain and everything will be glorious and new. You know, I was trying to think of how to describe this. Imagine having able to go for a hike. You're hiking to the top of Mount Kinabaru and along the way, you're enjoying the entire scenery. You reach the top, you enjoy the magnificent sunrise. All this without mosquitoes, leeches and other hassles creation will always be good and we will fully enjoy it. And then in verse 2, a new church, you see John continues saying, And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. Again here, John gives us a lot of imagery, but what does, does he mean? And, and what does it mean for us? Not all of us have seen the frustration of this age. All of us continue to experience frustration, not only mothers. And much of the frustration is because we still sin. I mean, let's be honest here. We still sin. It may sound strange for you to hear that a pastor like also we admit that we sin. All of us, pastor, lay people, everyone alike, we still sin. We want to be patient, but we are irritable. We want to love, but we say hurtful things. We want to walk in peace, but we feel anxiety. We want to humbly serve others, and we tend towards self-centeredness. We want to be holy, but we fall short of the holiness we long for. There is some progress in growth towards Christ-like maturity right now, as the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. But what we truly long for is total deliverance from our inclination to sin. Total delivery from what our, even our desires to want to sin. And this is what makes verse 2 so wonderful. This is the picture of the church, of all of us Christians, prepared and beautified for a husband, Jesus Christ. When God makes all things new, he makes the church, Christians, spiritually and morally beautiful for his son. There is no more sin. See how John describes this in Revelation 21, verse 9 to 11. Then came one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And get this, having the glory of God. its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. When the bride of the lamb with the church is being made ready, God does so by giving us His glory, verse 11, having the glory of God. And His glory so thoroughly and so deeply purifies us that there will not be any hint of sin. We will have the radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal, pure, right, and good. There will be nothing shameful or hidden nor sinful. The church will be made new, spiritually and morally pure, for her moral, for her final marriage to the son. No more frustration. Not only do we not sin, but the presence of sin is totally and entirely eradicated. We will be delivered entirely from our inclination to sin. What a beautiful picture. Don't you yearn for this A new relationship with God, verse 3. And we see John continuing in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as they are God. God will make our relationship with him new and glorious. While it's true that God is with us now, his spirit dwells in us, we see this in First Corinthians six nineteen, And we see Jesus promising to never leave us to the end of the age. We see this in Matthew 28. But Paul tells us in Second Corinthians 5, verse 6 to 7, We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. What is described here is that there's this deep, painful sense that we all experience in which we are currently away from the Lord. You know, I was thinking how to describe this. You know, like the boyfriend involved in a long-distance relationship with his beloved girlfriend. Modern technology like WhatsApp, Skype, and emails keep them connected. But he will still miss her and long for her physical presence. There is a sense that he longs for her presence fully. He would rather speak to her face-to-face rather than over Skype. That's the same sense here. While God is with us right now, we long for his presence fully. And this is what makes verse 3 so glorious. We will experience a new relationship with God in his presence, seeing him face to face. God's dwelling place or tabernacle will be with man. He will dwell, and the word is translated again, tabernacle with us. God will take us as His people and God Himself will be our God. All the promises in the Bible of God's dwelling in our midst will find its final fulfillment. From God's presence in the Ark of Covenant in the Old Testament to the tabernacle, to the temple, to Jesus Christ, God with us, to the Holy Spirit indwelling us, will finally come to culmination as we are in God's presence fully. Something greater is coming for all of us in our relationship with God. We will dwell in God's presence, relating to Him face to face and enjoying His presence forevermore. Last point, a new resurrection body. Finally, John writes in verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. For a long time this has been my favorite verse even as I look at this verse, I desire this you see what God is going to do is he's going to physically and give us make us physically and bodily new. And glorious. You know, most of the images we get from the media of our what happens when we finally meet God in our final state of glory is that of you know disemboweled spirits floating around in heaven, not having much to do. But the Bible actually does not teach this. We have a very different destiny. God will make all things new, including our bodies. We will receive our resurrection bodies. And verse 4 points in this direction. No more death. No more tears. No more pain. Wouldn't you like this? What that means is that the body we know now will be changed. Because it dies and it hurts and it cries. If death is gone, that pain is gone. And the body as we know it here will be gone. John Plenny writes that the point is not good riddance to the body, but that God will make all things new. And as the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20-21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, and hear this carefully, who will transform our lowly bodies, our lowly body, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our bodies will be changed to be like Jesus' resurrection body. It's a new body. It will never die again. It will never hurt again. It will never cry again. Except perhaps to cry for joy in God's presence. You know, some of us may feel short change when we got our bodies, perhaps we have some disabilities and health challenges and issues from birth, and we struggle with it. But perhaps others like me will develop health issues in our life, you know like a reoccurring pain in your left knee that never goes away due to an old injury. But God will not leave anybody in that condition. God makes our bodies new. We will receive transformed resurrection bodies. Imagine that. A body that works well, no pain, no difficulty, no health challenges. And I will not have to worry about the cholesterol from the chili crab I had last night for a Mother's Day dinner. Nothing like that, no worries. God makes creation good and glorious. God makes a church spiritually and morally beautiful. God makes our relationship with Him new. And glorious. God makes us physically and bodily new and glorious. What a glorious future hope awaits us. And the question raised is how can you and I be sure? How can you and I be sure? How can you be sure? When Imperial Japan invaded Singapore during World War II, they actually they created their own currency to be used in the occupied territories. Okay, for some of us who have grandparents or parents who are older, we may have seen actually samples of this. The currency was commonly known as banana money. Okay? Because what happened is there's a motif, there's a pattern of a banana plantation on the $10 notes. And when Imperial Japan surrendered, these notes were rendered worthless. So if you had stockpile banana notes and had hoped to cash in after the war, your hopes... Will be misplaced. The banana notes were useless, not even worth the money, uh, not even worth the paper it was printed on. Hope must be placed on something true and trustworthy for us to have confidence in it. How can you and I be sure of what John writes? The picture of this glorious future that awaits us in Revelation 21, 1 to 4. Follow with me as we read verses 5 to 8. And look at it in our, the, look at the text right now. John tells us how we can be certain and sure. We see that verse 5 tells us it is God who is seated on the throne that tells us He's making all things new. The image is that of God, our sovereign King, who says so. He is the all-powerful Lord and Monarch of the heavenly host. And He speaks these words of hope and promise. And God tells John to record these words, the promise of God making all things new as trustworthy and true. Moreover, in verse 6, what does God say? He tells us that it is done. All the events that has to take place are completed. God's firm word reassures of the sure certainty of what is going to happen. And they will work out, just as God the Alpha and the Omega, the originator and completer of all things, wills to be so. And these promises are freely available to any who are thirsty and acknowledge their need and lack. First we read, To the thirsty God will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This verse actually alludes to Isaiah 55 1 and as we look at the Old Testament context, it's an invitation to Israel to come to God to receive its promised restoration. In its context in Revelation, it is an invitation to Christians to come and receive what God has promised. To those of us who are weary, to those of us who suffer the frustrations and the hurts of this life in this fallen world, the invitation is to come to God and he will supply the water of life and bring restoration by making all things new. And these promises are for the one who conquers. Verse 7. In the book of Revelation, the one who conquers or overcome refers to those Christians who persevere and endure to the end. Persevere and endure to the end in the midst of suffering and persecution. Christians are only able to conquer because of the one who conquers on our behalf. Christians can overcome because of the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ has won the victory for us on the cross. We who trust in Jesus Christ, in him, have already won the victory over death and sin. And the ones who conquer will possess this promised heritage of being God's sons and dwelling in his presence forever. All these promises, however, end with a sober warning in verse 8. Those who fail to overcome, who ultimately prove disobedient, will be cast out into the lake of fire. They will suffer a second death. Eternal separation from God. Those who begin as Christians, who trust in Jesus Christ, will overcome And conquer those who never profess or trust in jesus to begin with will be lost will be lost this warning serves as a contrast to the promises those who trust in jesus and are his will receive the blessing and of everything made new those who don't they will be separated and excluded from the promises so in summary we see that christians are called to persevere in the midst of the curse of this present fallen world, with the assured hope that God, God, will make all things new again. In the second half of March, I left for two weeks' holiday to London, UK and Ireland. I was really looking forward to it, anticipating what I will see and do and experience that anticipation and hope of a wonderful trip made the weeks leading to a trip more bearable and I was able to endure them better. The fact that I was going to the, on a trip did not change the fact that I had a heavy workload and you know, facing the challenges and difficulties of life and ministry. All this did not change. But what changed was that I knew that I was certainly going for the trip. All the travel arrangements and accommodations have been confirmed and my leave applied, and I anticipated that it would be a good and restful break. It was this certainty and hope that motivated me to persevere in the midst of challenges. Likewise, this assured hope that God will make all things new can motivate Christians to persevere in suffering and difficulties. So what difference would this make to you? Firstly, you need to be certain that you number among those who conquer and overcome. You need to be certain that you number among those who conquer and overcome. Heed the warning of verse 8. Be certain that you number among those in verse 7. And the only way that you can be certain is to trust Jesus Christ and the victory he won for you on the cross over sin and death. And if this is your desire, you can approach any of the pastors and elders and we will be glad to speak to you about this. Now is the day for your deliverance. Do you wish to receive the gospel promises of all things being made new? Or do you instead choose the lostness and separation from God? You, especially mothers in our midst, Can hope that all things will be finally made new. In the midst of the mundane struggle of living in this present fallen world, there's hope of all things being made right in a new heaven and a new earth. Mothers, when you struggle with frustration, washing the dishes once again, struggling with the clothes once again, it seems that your family and children are not listening struggle with loving them and you wonder whether if there's more to life than the mundane daily difficulties you face. Rest assured, there's more to life than this. You can look forward to God making all things new. You can look forward to a wonderful new creation, a new glorious church, a new fulfilling relationship with God and a new resurrection body. Your frustration, tears, pain and suffering will be no more you can persevere because you live in the, between the ready of the cross and resurrection and the not yet of Christ coming back again. All of us, we can persevere because we live in between the ready of the cross and resurrection and the not yet of Christ coming back again. The perfect fulfilment of God's promises lie in the future yet to come. At this point in time, we live between the cross and the final fulfillment of all of God's promises. Christ has really won victory for us on the cross. He has really begun to reverse the curse of the fall. However, we still live in the time of the not yet of the final fulfillment. Sin and death is defeated, but not yet fully eradicated. Therefore, on one hand, do not be surprised if you face difficulty and suffering right now, Yet on the other hand, on the other hand, you can have hope that sustains your perseverance, your endurance, because you know what is to come—the final fulfillment of all of God's promises to us through Jesus Christ. You can press on and overcome with an unsurprised, realistic, yet assured, joyful hope. And is this assured hope that God will make all things new, that can motivate you and me to press on in the midst of difficulties and suffering. The Apostle Paul, as one who experienced much suffering and difficulties for the sake of the Gospel, also looked forward to this glorious future when God fulfills His Gospel promises and makes all things new. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16-18, to So we do not lose... We press on and overcome because of this eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison that awaits us. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this assured hope that you will make all things new. Lord, we ask that you give us sustaining grace for the here and now that you help us fix our sights on our future glory that awaits us. We thank you for Jesus Christ, in whom we shall conquer and overcome sufferings and difficulties. We pray that as a church, we can live with a joy of anticipation, of an eternal weight of glory that awaits us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.